Giving thanks to God is a theme that runs through the Bible. All the way from the book of Genesis when Abraham's servant was thanking God for leading him to the house of his master's brethren. To the book of Revelation where we read of the redeemed saints in heaven giving thanks. The spirit of thanksgiving should permeate our lives. It's not just an exercise at mealtime or a duty to be remembered for special events, but we are to give thanks always. My subject, giving thanks to God. For the text, we turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, read beginning with verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the chapter begins in verse 1. With this admonition, be ye followers of God as dear children. And then we're admonished to walk in love, to love even as Christ loved us. What a tremendous love that was. John tells us in his first epistle that we are to love not just in word, but in deed and in truth. And then this is followed by a list of sins that we're told to avoid. And a reminder that you were sometimes darkness, but are now children of light. So you're therefore not to have any fellowship with the works of darkness. You're to walk circumspectly. That signifies you're to be aware of what is around you. Look around. Be aware of dangers. Avoid making quick and bad decisions. Walk circumspectly. Then verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then our text, verse 20. Giving thanks Always for all things. Now there are many obstacles to giving thanks. The first being, some do not give thanks because they do not know God. We look at the book of Romans chapter 1 and see that there are those who reject the truth about God. Beginning with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The word literally means to hold it down, to suppress it. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. It reveals that God has put something in the heart of every human being to know there is a God. And when somebody says, I don't believe in God because there's not enough evidence, that's just not so. 
There is clear evidence in his creation to know there is a creator, there is a God. And there is that which he has put in every human being to know there is a God. Now verse 21 says, because when they knew God, that does not mean that they knew him as their savior. But they knew that there is a God. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They were not thankful. If you don't believe in the true and living God, then you're not going to give thanks to God. And so here are these individuals that reject the evidence God has given them, both that which is external in viewing his handiwork and that which is internal, which God has put in every human being to know there is a God. So, those who deny the existence of God, those who would say that this earth upon which we live and the human beings that live upon it all came about through a process of evolution and do not acknowledge him as the creator, do not give thanks. They are unthankful. And that's a characteristic of those who are unregenerate. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. That's one of the characteristics of those who do not know God. They have not been regenerated. They're not born again. So in these last days, in these perilous days, here are the traits that are prevalent, and you can certainly see it on every hand. Boasters, lovers of their own selves, covetous, greedy, proud, unthankful, unholy. And then we would also consider that pride is a barrier to thanksgiving. Read about a man who was elevated in pride in the book of Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? For the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. Talk about pride. Look at what I've done. This is my kingdom. I built it by my power. I built it for my glory. He's exalted. Now verse 31 says that while the word was yet in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying... O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. Now, Daniel had warned the king a year earlier that this would occur. That because of his pride, he would lose his kingdom. But the king had ignored it. And so he's still standing there with this self-righteous, self-exalted, boastful attitude. Look what I've done. This is the great kingdom that I've built by my power and for my glory. But God says, 
your kingdom is going to be taken away from you. And you know how the rest of it unfolds. That the king was put down on his all fours like the beast of the field and made to eat grass till the dew settled upon him. What humiliation for this proud king to be reduced to appearing like an animal. Certainly, Nebuchadnezzar was not giving thanks to God. He didn't say, I thank the God of heaven for giving me life and health and the ability to give direction to the building of this kingdom. I thank God because he has elevated me and allowed me to occupy the throne. None of that. He's lifted up in pride. And therefore, he did not give thanks. Daniel had specifically said to him, break off thy sins by righteousness. But he ignored the admonition. And then coupled closely with that, another one of the obstacles to giving thanks is the wrong view of self. Certainly Nebuchadnezzar had the wrong view of himself, but there are other situations that might not go to that extreme. But still, the incorrect view of self hinders the giving of thanks. We go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now we've heard it said by many educators over the years that the great need is to build self-esteem. That if children can just be taught to have a higher view of self, that many of the problems that are encountered will be resolved. But I think we can see much evidence that the problem is not a lack of self-esteem. It's a lack of Christ-esteem. It's because self is exalted. Self is esteem. He says, for you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. A person has a feeling of entitlement. With that attitude, they're not going to be given thanks because they're calculating where they're coming short. I feel like I'm entitled to so many things, many of which I don't have. I haven't been given the things that I think I deserve. I deserve more than I have. The spirit of jealousy, envy. See what somebody else has. And down deep you're saying, that's just not fair. Why do they have all that and I don't? I'm sure I work as hard as they do, probably harder. Why is it? So instead of giving thanks... There's complaint because of envy. Individual who doesn't have a clear sight of himself certainly does not possess the spirit that was demonstrated by the patriarch Jacob when he said, I'm not worthy of the least of thy mercies. If you start on that premise, you're going to have a totally different outlook about life. You're not saying, I'm special, I'm unique, I'm superior to other people, I deserve something. Jacob says, I deserve nothing. If the mercies of God could be calculated in such a way to, to 
side, here is that which is the least of his mercies. I'm not entitled to that. So if you have that understanding, that outlook, God's not obligated to me. I don't deserve anything. Then you'll be more inclined to have a thankful spirit. Jesus gave that lesson in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke that certainly depicts what we're talking about. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee. You might say, well, now, wait a minute here. This man's giving thanks. Oh, but look what he says. I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. What kind of thanksgiving is that? That's just an expression of pride. Lord, take note of me. I'm not like these renegades around me here. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not as this publican who's over here smiting upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Not only that, I'm extremely committed in a religious way because I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, a person that has that spirit is not going to give thanks. Not going to give thanks to God. For his mercies. No doubt. You've been taught well enough. You've read the scriptures well enough. That you would never, never be guilty. Of saying out loud. What this Pharisee said. But has there ever been a time that you've looked around at some other individuals. And you really felt. Thank God I'm better than they are. I may have my faults, but I'm not that bad. I, I, I do a pretty decent job. I go to church on a regular basis and uh, look, at, look at what all I've done. Boasting. That's what this Pharisee was doing. He wasn't praying when he said, I thank God. He was, he was boasting. Look at the sins I've avoided. Look at the things that I have done which are commendable. That interferes with the giving of thanks. And then a murmuring or complaining spirit certainly will disrupt a thankful spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 10. Neither murmur ye as some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. And verse 6 tells us that these things were written for our example. Referring, of course, to what happened with Israel when they were brought out of Egyptian bondage. Now they had moaned and groaned and cried out to God for help. They suffered under the whip of the taskmaster. They wanted deliverance. And God raises up Moses to bring them out. They see that great miracle in the crossing at the Red Sea of God bringing them safely across and drowning Pharaoh's host in the depths. You would think having been brought out of bondage, having been delivered with such a mighty hand, having already observed the ten plagues that were sent upon the Egyptians, they knew that God was for them and blessing them, but they start on their journey in the wilderness and immediately they begin to complain. They complain. Numbers chapter 21 verse 5. And the people spake against God. Think of it. They'd been crying out to God for help, and God now has helped them. God has delivered them by his mighty power, and they have the boldness and audacity to speak against God. 
Oh, my friends, may we search our hearts. If Satan should ever ensnare us, and there were thoughts that we entertained against God, may we quickly forsake them and confess them and pray that God give us grace to overcome. They spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? It looks like there was some evil design at work here. We'd have been better off where we were. We might as well go back. For there's no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this like bread. So they spoke against God. They spoke against God's appointed leader. They didn't like the situation that they were facing. They didn't want to face any challenges. They didn't want any discomfort. They didn't want to have to walk by faith. They didn't want to have to depend on God on a daily basis. With that kind of a critical spirit, nothing is ever quite right. Some people are more prone to complain than others. And if uh, it's your situation in life to be around somebody who is a chronic complainer, you know how unpleasant that can be. Because that attitude rubs off on other people and it robs even those that have to listen to it of their joy. A person that's possessed of a critical spirit, they complain about their circumstances, they complain in the summertime that it's too hot, in the wintertime it's too cold. They complain it's either too much rain or not enough. They become critical of people. They lack love. They lack compassion. As they view other people's faults, instead of letting love cover a multitude of sins, they focus on those faults. They're very quick to point them out. They talk about people. A person who is full of constant criticisms is not one who's giving thanks. Their attitude, I don't like this, I don't like that. I don't approve of this person, I don't approve of that person. I don't understand, where is the Lord? Has he brought me out into the wilderness place to perish? Why aren't things better for me? God was well able to take care of those people in spite of their complaints. And at one time, the Lord was ready to wipe them off the planet Earth. But he was merciful. And when they didn't have water, he brought it out of a rock. And when they didn't have bread, he rained manna down from heaven. And then they complained about the bread. Same old stuff every day. Instead of being thankful that God gave them something, they complained about it. And then another obstacle to giving thanks is failure to recognize God's sovereignty. Job was an upright man, feared God, served God, had been abundantly blessed, was very prosperous, but in short order, he lost everything. Job chapter 1 verse 2 said, 
Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. What a testimony. At a later time, Job struggled, particularly after his friends came to visit. When you read that account, you say with friends like that, you don't need any enemies. But these friends were harassing him and raising questions and disturbing his peace. But initially, Job's attitude is what it should have been. Job did not sin or charge God foolishly. He said, the Lord gave me all of this and the Lord took it away. God had a right to do that. I'm not going to complain. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He recognized the sovereignty of God. If you recognize his sovereignty... It will move you to have a thankful spirit. If you neglect to recognize it, it will generate unhappiness and complaints. Now, just as there are many obstacles to giving thanks, there are many calls in the scripture and many examples of giving thanks. Think first about some of the Old Testament references. The book of First Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 8. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all of his wondrous works. What are we told here? We're to sing unto the Lord. That's an admonition found both in the Old and the New Testament. We're to talk of his wondrous works. Oh, my People could talk about so many trivial things, discouraging things, frustrating things, divisive things. But what a blessing to talk about his wonderful works. This we're instructed to do. Verse then goes on to say, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And then in the book of Nehemiah, you recall it was a challenging thing to go back to the city when Nehemiah arrived there and saw the devastation that the walls were broken down, the gates burned with fire, but he was determined to see that the wall was rebuilt and that the city would be restored as a place where people could comfortably live. There was opposition as they went about the building of the wall. Critics made fun of their effort. There were those that tried to divert them and get them into some kind of lengthy discussion which would have prevented them proceeding with their work on the wall. But finally, in record time, the wall was finished. And Nehemiah says, we're going to celebrate. So in chapter 12, verse 27, it says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals, with psalters, and with harps. And he appointed the people to get up on the wall in two companies, one going one direction and one going another, and they were singing and praising God, giving thanks, and it said, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. What a happy day is that, when God's people are full of thanksgiving and praising him, and their joy is such that it is even heard at a distance. And then a psalm very familiar when we're talking about giving thanks. Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. What emphasis is put upon 
the giving of thanks here. You come to his courts. You come to his house. You come to church. You come here to give thanks. We express our thanksgiving in hymns, in our prayers, in acknowledging the truth that is preached from his word. Come into his courts with thanksgiving and be ye thankful. Psalm 92 verse 1. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. If then it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, then it's something we ought to do. People sometimes express a little perplexity. Well, I want to serve God. I want to honor God. I want to do what's acceptable in his sight. I'm not just sure what he would have me to do. Well, here's one thing he would have you to do. He would have you to consistently, regularly, Daily, give thanks. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Psalm 105, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make his deeds known among the people. Psalm 107, verse 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his wondrous works to the children of men. So we see that Closely connected with the giving of thanks is the declaring of his great works. That means that you're giving attention to what God has done. You're meditating upon it. You're rejoicing in it. Consequently, you talk about it and you then give thanks because of what he has done. And then the New Testament references. We look at our text in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, thanks is to be given to God the Father. Now somebody might say, Well, thank you for what you did for me, and that's appropriate, but that's not giving thanks to God. Somebody might say, I thank my lucky stars that such and such came to pass. Well, that's not giving thanks to God. What we're instructed to do here is giving thanks to God, the Father, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one intercessor between God and man. There's no way to approach the Father save by the Son, Jesus Christ. No way to correctly give thanks save through the name of Jesus Christ. And he says, giving thanks always. Not just at some appointed time, not just at meal time, not just on special occasions, but always and for all things. That can be difficult, can it not? Troubles and trials come and say, can I still give thanks? He says, give thanks always for all things. And then we go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. That's so plain. Person may say there are parts of scripture that I just can't understand. Well, I admit there are a lot of places that are difficult and challenging. This is not one of them. And be ye thankful. Everybody here can understand that. Be ye thankful. So if you find that there's some hindrances in your life, if you find that there is a tendency to have a complaining spirit or a critical spirit or any of these other things that interfere Ask for forgiveness and come back to where you need to be in your daily life of giving thanks. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. 
See, the apostle deals with this consistently over and over again. He's reminding the people, give thanks to God, the Father. In fact, six times in the four chapters of this epistle, Paul talks about being thankful. So it's not a minor subject. It's not something that is just a little devotional thought that uh, we ought to consider once in a while. You know, somebody might say, well, talk about being thankful. I, I, I want to get into something deeper. I, I, want, I want to hear something that's uh, more uh, challenging for me than just the simple declaration, be ye thankful. But this is the teaching of God's word. This is something that's not minimized, but is put out in front of us over and over again, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. And so it's vital that we give attention to it, that we are thankful. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Be careful for nothing. That means do not worry. Somebody said, well, that's impossible for me. I'm a professional worrier from way back. I worry about everything. But worry is a sin. So how are you going to overcome it? It tells us how. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How easy it is to overlook that. You've got many burdens. You've got a heavy heart. You rush into prayer. You begin to pour out your heart to the Lord. That all is well and good, but you forgot something. You make a request known with thanksgiving. That's where you have to start. That changes your whole outlook. That changes the way in which you approach the Lord. Make your request known with thanksgiving. And then Revelation chapter 7 verse 12. Before the throne of the Lamb saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Now you see, that's something that you can start here on earth that you'll still be doing when you go to heaven. A lot of things that pertain to this earth will be behind us and you won't be doing it in heaven. But here's something you'll still be doing. So get ahead and start. Be acquainted with what it means to give thanks because the multitude of the redeemed in heaven purchased by the blood of the Lamb, giving glory to the Lamb that was slain, are rejoicing because of His grace, mercy, love, and sacrifice and they're singing with thanksgiving. Just as there are many obstacles to thanksgiving, but there are many clear admonitions and examples in the scripture to thanksgiving, there are many reasons to be thankful. Thankful for his daily mercies. Jeremiah was a prophet that suffered a lot. He suffered severe opposition from the people. They did not like his message. They put him in a pit. They would like to get rid of him. Go somewhere else. We don't want that message here. It was God's message, but the people didn't want to hear it. Jeremiah went through some dark times. He reached a low place. As described in Lamentations chapter 3 to say, My hope is perished from the Lord. But then he said, This I recall to mind. 
It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Must we not all concur? His mercies are new every morning. You may have had a restless night. You may get up in the morning and pick up all of the burdens that you carried the day before. But the fact that you have life and those necessities that he has supplied for you, you can say his mercies are great. Great is thy faithfulness. Sickness may interrupt your plans. Physical impairment can slow you down, slow your pace dramatically. But Paul said, as he preached at Mars Hill in Acts 17.25, he gives life and breath and all things. So no matter what our challenge may be, no matter what our burden of the moment may be, the fact is, we have life, he gives it to us. The breath that we're breathing, he gives it to us. All things that we have pertaining to life and breath, he gives it to us. He gives us these daily blessings. And then in James chapter 1 verse 17 it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If you have a good gift, you have to recognize where it came from. Something that's good, something that's beneficial, something that's worthwhile. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And he's consistent. There is no variableness. There is no shadow of turning. You can count on it. You can depend on it. He is a faithful God. And then we can even be thankful to God. Recognizing that he is at work in our deepest trials. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's a remarkable promise. So often people struggle with it. I suppose we all do to some extent. You face a situation in life, some unexpected trial, and you'd say, Why, Lord, why this? Why now? And then you come back to this promise. All things, whatever they are, whatever the difficulty, are working together. It didn't say that sickness is good. It didn't say that pain is good. It didn't say that heartache is good. But it says he's going to bring good out of it. All these things work together for good. Not to every member of the human family, but to those that love God. And the ones that love God are the ones that are called according to his purpose. Even after Job's friends had given him such a difficult time, he said, the hand of God hath touched me. I don't understand it. I've got questions that are not answered. But he wasn't trying to get vengeance. He didn't say, I want to get up somebody to go after the Sabaeans that robbed me and give them their just due. No, he said, the hand of God hath touched me. And even though there were struggles and 
unanswered questions. He went on to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Oh, what a difference that makes. The burden is heavy. The trial is extremely difficult. But you recognize this is not fate. This is not out of God's control. My times are in his hands. The hand of God hath touched me. And though he slay me, I trust him. I haven't got anywhere else to go. No one else to trust. No one else can help me. But God himself. And so I trust him. David said in Psalm 119 verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. So in the midst of your trial, you can say, before I was afflicted, before this trial came, I might have been somewhat careless. I might not have been focused on the things that were of greatest importance. But because of this trial, I have become more sensitive to sin. I've just been made aware that some of the little things that I ignored were not pleasing to God. I've been convicted of my failures. I've been made to see what a dreadful thing sin is in the sight of a holy God. Through this trial, I've been made aware of my weakness. I might have mouthed those words earlier, but I know it of a fact now. Lord, I am weak, but thou art strong. Thou art the source of my strength. The trial itself has caused you to be more intense in prayer. It's not just a daily commitment. It's a daily necessity. I must pray. I need his help. I need his wisdom. I need his guidance. I need his strength to hold me up. So you can say with the psalmist, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. And then to be thankful for his mercy and for his saving grace. Scripture has a lot to say about mercy. Some of our hymns refer to the mercy of God. Don't just mouth those words and let it slip by without really pondering what's that mean. Remember that by nature, you are a sinner. You're a lawbreaker. And a lawbreaker deserves a penalty, the consequence of your action. Where would you be today? If God had not dealt with you according to his mercy. If God dealt with you on the basis of what the law demands, what justice requires, that the penalty for every sin was meted out. Well, the truth is that apart from the mercy of God, we'd all be in hell. Because that's the ultimate penalty for sinners. But God is a merciful God. That means you're not going to get what you deserve. That's good news to know. Though I deserve punishment, though I deserve a horrible penalty, though I deserve to be separated from God and be under his wrath forever, he's merciful. 
Psalm 136, verse 26, Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. There are 26 verses in that psalm, and every one of them have this phrase, The mercy of God endures forever. His mercy. His mercy is not short-lived. His mercy is not a temporary intervention. His mercy endures forever. Isn't that the kind of mercy we need? We truly see ourselves as wretched, unworthy sinners. We know we stand in need of His mercy. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for His mercy endureth forever. Isaiah 54, 7 speaks of His great mercies. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 says He delights in mercy. That's good to know. You don't have to persuade the Lord as though he's reluctant to be merciful. He delights in it. You come before him expressing your need. You come before him acknowledging your sin. You come before him saying, I'm shut up to thy mercy. I need it desperately. And he delights to give it. Luke chapter 1 verse 78 speaks of the tender mercy of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 speaks of God who is rich in mercy. There's an abundance of it. He's not about to run out of it. He is rich in mercy. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 describes his abundant mercy. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says that it was not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. It's by mercy that such undone, wretched, guilty sinners are saved. Not by free will, not by good works, not by moral reform, but by his mercy. And that mercy is meted out because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He could be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus because the sins of all that will ultimately believe on Jesus were laid on him at the cross and he paid the price. Now God can be merciful to guilty souls and yet justice is upheld. And then we look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Blessed. Be thankful. Give praise. Praise to the Father. Blessed be the God and Father. Oh, then there is praise in verses 4 through 6. Praise to the Father who elects a people, made choice of them, predestinated them to be conformed to the image of His Son. Verses 7 through 12, praise to the Son who redeems them, who went to the cross, willingly laid down His life, shed His blood, paid the price necessary. Verses 13 and 14, praise to the Spirit who seals them so that they are secure and kept by the power of God. Think about it today. Multitudes, multitudes, multitudes are on the broad road to destruction. They're in the dark, they're lost, and they don't know it. They're headed for destruction. But if you've had an experience of grace, if God has dealt with you, you're now in the light. God has given you light to know you're a sinner. God gave you light to know you were lost. 
You didn't know it till he made you know it, but you knew now that in yourself you were lost and ruined. First Peter 2.9 says that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So while multitudes are in total darkness, not even understanding the danger, not even caring about their eternal state, you have been blessed and enlightened of God to know that you're a sinner and given the light to know that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior, no other one to whom you could turn. No other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Blessed you by his grace. Given you the gift of faith whereby you laid hold of Jesus Christ and you trust him and him alone. You can say with the hymn writer, I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see. Just think of the riches, the riches of his grace. You've been accepted in the beloved. You who deserved nothing. You who would have gone on your road to eternal destruction have been accepted in the beloved. You've been made a new creature in Christ Jesus. You've been adopted into the family of God. Isn't that amazing? A rebel by nature. One that could make no demands. Deserving nothing. Now in the family of God. He's your father. You're his child. Oh, the blessings of his saving grace. And you have grace to help you in every trial. No matter what the trial may be. No matter how dark the night. You have grace to help you. Because his grace is sufficient. You have comfort in every sorrow. Because he's the God of all comfort. You have peace. Because he's the prince of peace. Peace when you come down to the end of the journey. Peace when you're facing death. Peace because... When you pass from this life, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then unless you're here when Jesus comes back and you're caught up in the air to meet him, someday your body will be laid to rest. But there's going to be victory over the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So wherever we turn in Scripture, there's an admonition to give thanks. Or the apostle himself, the apostle Paul, giving thanks. So he says, give thanks to him. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then on the other side, no disappointment in heaven because you will have an inheritance that is reserved for you, incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. Let us never murmur or complain, but give thanks always. Let us speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart unto the Lord. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name.
Do you not have reason today to give thanks to God? Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. And I would say to anybody today who's struggling, saying, I would like to be able to say that, but I'm such a great sinner, I don't know, I don't know if there's any hope for me. Here's something for which you can give thanks, that Jesus says, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Here's something for which you can give thanks. He says, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. If you see yourself as a sinner, you know you need salvation. The good news of the gospel is that salvation is for those who are sinners and know it. May you trust him today.